This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Darby has COVID. Bill just found out about it, and he stepped in to take her place. Thank you, Bill. Yes. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's awesome. And, by the way, maybe we should pray for Darby. Would you join me in that? God, we just pause right now to pray for Darby. Would you keep her safe? Would you watch over her health? Would you please bring her back to us soon? Um, Would you protect her family from getting COVID? And would you make this a very short story? And God, while we're at it, we want to pray for Hillside Nazarene Church, uh, a sister church of ours in this town. Would you be with Doug and the staff there? And would you make that church fruitful and blessed as it proclaims the good news of Jesus? We pray it all together. God, we want to pray for the people in Maui, too. So heartbreaking. God, we know what that feels like. We've lived through that nightmare here. Would you reunite family members? Would you be gracious and merciful to those who have lost loved ones and especially to those who have lost multiple loved ones. And would you enable them to rebuild? Would you guide them and strengthen them and comfort them and carry them as they mourn? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, as you can tell, I'm retired, right? Four days. And I stink at it. (laughs) I feel guilty when I shouldn't feel guilty. I hurry when I shouldn't hurry. I'm learning to have a new narrative that runs in the background. I already blew an appointment on Thursday of this week. I didn't even look at my calendar. And I get a text message from the guy I was to meet with. And he goes, hey, we had a great meeting Sorry you weren't there. I was like, oh, no. So I wrote him a text, and I said, I'm so sorry. I'm not good at this retirement thing yet. And he retired about eight or nine months ago, and he sends me a text with a laughing face on it, and he says, yeah, I know. Every day's like Saturday, right? (laughs) And I learned something else. I have all these things at home that I wanted to get done, so man, on my first day of retirement, I'm out there. It's 90-some degrees. I'm pouring concrete. Uh, I know, that's a bad combination. For those of you who haven't poured concrete, it starts to set in 20 minutes, and I am like going like crazy not to lose the whole batch of concrete, and I'm sweating up a storm. And so Wednesday, I'm doing that. Thursday, I'm doing more of it. Friday, I'm doing a bunch of other things, and by Saturday, I'm so sore, I can hardly get out of bed. <laughs> and I tell my wife, I, I got to take a break from retirement. <laughs> it's killing me. <laughs> so there you, there you go. I, I, I will get better at it. I wore the shirt on purpose because 
It was my first retirement present, and it's from one of the families right here in our church. And uh, so I'm very proud to be retired. And yes, you can ask my wife uh, what our new arrangements are. We are trying to figure that out together. So, uh, hey, today is our 52nd wedding anniversary. That means she's a very patient and resilient lady. That's what that means. Uh, if you know Patrick and Nadia, I believe this is their anniversary. If you, yes. If you know Don Johnson, it's his birthday today. And so you can pester him as you, you all leave today. And I just have to say this. I've been retired four days, and I'm so honored that you've invited me back as a guest speaker. <laughs> it's so nice to be here, and uh, I, I told my wife I was going to tell you, I sure hope I can connect with you as a guest speaker. So uh, we, we have some fun stuff to, to talk about today, and I want to start with an illustration I have used here before. This is a Matryoshka doll from Russia, and those of you who are familiar with the concept know that the doll has various layers to it, and the reason I brought it up here is because every one of us has many, many layers to us. There's a lot that goes into the making up of us, and the deeper we dig into what makes us who we are, we learn things about ourselves that are super important. So now I'm going to put all these back together again, if I can, because we're going to refer to them as we teach. We are in a teaching series called The Way of Jesus, and that's not just a nice title. The Way of Jesus was literally the first thing that the followers of Jesus were called. People didn't know what to call this growing group of people who believed in the resurrection of someone they called their Messiah or Savior, and they claimed he was the Savior of the world, and he so radically affected the way that everybody lived, it was really clear. The followers of Jesus lived like this. Everybody else seems to live like this. No matter what religion, no matter what faith, no matter what occupation, there was something about this, and in the absence of knowing what to call them, they just called them the way. And I'm of a mind to believe that the best thing that could happen to the followers of Jesus today is that we could live in the way of Jesus. Are you on board with that? Yeah, that's what our world needs is those of us who could live in the way of Jesus. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at the first two verses of Ephesians chapter 5, because in this book, in this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he so clearly lays out 
what the way of Jesus is supposed to look like and be. And in the fifth chapter, he's going to start with a really important principle, and that we simply call follow the leader. And we're going to take a look at how that works. Now, the interesting thing about our little doll here, get him in the right order, is most of us are primarily concerned about this person. This is the outside of us. This is the portion of us that everybody can see. This is the portion of us that people assume is the real us. But that's not the real us. And all of you actually know that. When our kids were little and we would take them to a restaurant, we would tell them, now in the restaurant, you have to use your restaurant voice. Got it? Was the restaurant voice their normal voice? Nowhere close, <laughs> right? That's why we had to tell them to use the restaurant voice. Well, you and I have this persona that is our restaurant persona, correct? We put it on when we go to the restaurant. We also put on a shinier version of it when we come to church, right? Of course we do. Yeah. When our in-laws come over, <laughs> we gloss it up pretty good. We're concerned about this person, and I'm glad we are. But here's a truth that we need to know. Take a look. Ultimately, it's not how we behave on the outside that determines the quality and outcome of our life. It's what the person deep inside us is. This little person, way inside us. It's that person that determines who we are and what we do and the outcome and legacy of our life. And in order to know how this works, we have to understand how we were made. So let's go way back to the very first page in the Bible and take a look at what the Bible says about us as human beings. It says God created humanity in his image. That means there's something about this little person way on the inside of us that has stamped in it the image of God. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. That, that's such an amazing privilege. We're going to come back to that principle many times. Then God blessed them, gave them this directive. Be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth. I will make you trustees of my estate. So care for my creation. Now, in a different teaching, maybe in a different series, we'll get into the four relationships that God talks about right here in the very first page of the Bible. And they are the four basic relationships that all of us have to have right if we're going to thrive. And here they are. I'm just going to expose you to them for a minute. We have to have a right relationship with God and not God as some distant God, but we have to come to understand that God is actually our forever father. That's huge. And then we have to have a right relationship with ourself. And instead of seeing ourselves as somehow subservient to a God who's large and in charge, 
we actually have to learn to see ourselves as God's forever children. And then we have to look at other people and see them not just as other people, uh, you know, clamoring for the same things I want in life. We have to see everyone in the world as a member of our forever family. And then we have to have a right relationship with God's creation. And we have to see where we live as our forever home. And I know right away some of you are going, whoa, 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 isn't God making a new heavens and a new earth? I don't have time to get into all the theology of it, but it's pretty clear that the new earth is going to be right here. This is our forever home. Now, it's going to, it's going to be remodeled <laughs> big time, okay? But this is our forever home. And you notice God made us trustees of his creation. So now armed with those four wonderful relationships, what's the problem? Well, we have a big problem. And we find it just two pages later in the Bible. Adam and Eve invited sin into the world. And here's the major problem. The essence of our human nature. This little person in here. The essence of this little person was actually broken when sin entered our world through Adam and Eve. And now, this little person who was created to have a right relationship with God, and it was natural, to have a right relationship with self, and it was natural, to have a right relationship with other people, and that was natural, and to have a right relationship with the world, and that was natural. When sin came into the world, it actually fractured and broke this thing inside of us that was now no longer purely good. And now it's part good and part not so good. And you know that about yourself, don't you? I know that you have been surprised sometimes at the good things that you have done. And you try not to break your arm patting yourself on your back, right? You're like, man, that was good. I can't, I can't believe I did that. I, I was really good. And then there are those other times when you go, oh, my, oh, my. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. That was so wrong. Yeah, that's this broken person in here. So when you uh, apply that across the board, Let's play with that idea that our human nature was broken and let's learn something about our default view of God now and our default view of life. And here's the next principle. Our broken human nature's default view of life is now to see life as a human experience that plays out in front of a God who is primarily an observer who either rewards or punishes us based on what he sees. Friends, that's how we all tend to view life. And you know what? He goes even deeper than that. Every one of the Bible heroes that lived before Jesus, every single one of them viewed the Bible as a guidebook given to us by God to help us know how to behave so that we could be blessed by him. And so 
the narrative goes, if I do enough good things, God will bless me. If I don't do enough good things, God might not bless me. And if I do enough bad things, God will curse me. Oh, God, help me to do enough good. And then came Jesus. And Jesus painted a completely different picture. He goes, nice try. (laughs) That didn't work. It's not even actually true. Here's what Jesus said. Life isn't a human experience lived out in front of God. It's actually a divine experience offered to human beings as God's children, one that's created to be lived with God, not in front of him, with him. Wow. Now project that out a little bit, and we learn this truth, and that is our goal in life isn't to please God. Now don't stop there, okay? If you leave and say, man, you want to go to new life because they teach our goal in life is not to please God. You get to do whatever you want to do. Uh, Yeah, right. (laughs) Nope, that's not the end of the sentence. Our goal isn't to please God. Look, our goal is to become like him. Oh, my. And if we become like him, will we please him? Yeah. No problem. That's the idea. Now, Peter picked up on this because he followed Jesus very closely. And Peter wrote about this years later. And I want to read you what he said. By the way, every scripture I read to you today is a scripture that has been monumental in my life. These are the scriptures that have formed the basic narratives of my faith. And so I'm so excited to be able to share them with you. And this was one of the first that really began to shape my faith. Peter said, look, God's divine power has given us everything we need to experience life. Now, there's a hint there. He wrote this to living people. They were already alive. But Peter was indicating you can live without actually living. You can exist and never know life. And Peter is saying, look, God's God's power has given us everything we need to actually really live. And he goes on to say, through knowing the one who called us by his glory and virtue, or as another translation puts it, by knowing his glory and virtue and goodness. Through these things, God's glory and his goodness, we have received God's great and valuable promises. Wow, we're going to get into that in a minute. Peter's going to tell us what it is so that we might escape the corruption of worldly desires. Back to the little person that got broken. Okay? If we want to escape the corruption that comes into our life through this broken person that's on the inside of us, Peter says, through Jesus, through the promises of God, you and I can actually be healed and escape the corruption that comes from the brokenness that's here. And he goes on to say, 
and share in his divine nature. Oh my. Do you know what that means? Here's what it means. Any of us, every one of us, any of us in this auditorium, anyone viewing the live stream right now, anyone who watches this on YouTube later, any of us can literally experience what it's like to become like God. Friends, that is the good news of Jesus. And he doesn't want you or me to settle for anything less. He doesn't want you and me to settle for just going to church so we can check it off our list. He doesn't want you and me to to forgive somebody. Well, God says I have to, so I will. No, he wants us to actually experience and participate in God's divine nature. I want to put it simply. It is possible for his nature to become our nature. Wow. So you ask, what is God's nature like? Fortunately, Paul writes about it. Here's what he says. When God's spirit or God's nature directs our lives, he produces in us this kind of fruit. Now pause for a minute and think about each one of these. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Which one of those would you find offensive? None of them, right? It's like, oh, you remember in, in in the musical Fiddler on the Roof? where Tevye's son-in-law tells him money is the curse of the world. Do you remember what Tevye's response was? May the Lord smite me and may I never recover. (laughs) When I read that verse, I want to say, may the Lord smite me and may I never recover. If that's what it is, when God's nature becomes my nature. So that leads us to a big question. And the big question is this. How can God's nature become mine? That's what Paul addresses in the first two verses of chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. Let's, let me read it to you. Here's how Paul wrote it. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Because you are his dear children. Ooh, stop right there. I I would like to say, I think that concept is very foreign to every one of us in this room. You know how I know that? Because as I was greeting you when you came in this morning, and you were to ask me, what are you doing when I'm hugging you? If I were to say to you, oh, never mind me, I'm just imitating God. You go, who do you think you are? And yet Paul writes and says, imitate God. I think we need to get used to that because there's a principle here 
That is so powerful. And let's, let's dig into it. He goes, he goes on to say, as God's dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Now, I found a translation that expands this and talks to us in greater detail. And I want to read that to you before we get into these things that we're going to learn. This author says, look, there's what Paul says. Watch what God does, and then you do it. Ooh, that's pretty profound. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Now listen, what God does is love you. So keep company with him. And then learn a life of love. Can we pause right there? Anything you have to learn is not natural to you. It is not natural to live a life of love. I can tell you that. But every single one of us can learn it. Because we just read, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce in us. He will produce in us this kind of fruit. And the very first one was love. Now he goes on to say, observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself for us. And then I love what he says. Now, love like that. Ooh, that's big. So in that passage, Paul gives us five wonderful principles that I'm just going to touch on. We could do a whole teaching series on this. I'm just going to touch on them this morning. I apologize. There's a lot here. You're going to have to learn in a hurry. All right, here we go. Five steps to sharing in God's nature. Number one, you have to watch and study God. <clears throat> I watch athletes. I hear them interviewed all the time. And you know, <clears throat> pretty much every athlete I know has a hero that they want to be like. I like to golf. And there are golfers who study Sam Snead. There are golfers who study Tiger Woods. There are golfers who study Ben Hogan. There are golfers who study Bobby Jones. They buy every book that they've ever written. They watch videos of their practice sessions. They watch videos of their golf rounds. They're studying where the club is when, when they are in fully addressed back here. They study where the ball is next to their feet. They study where their wrists are at impact. All the stuff that if you don't golf, you would find totally boring. Yeah, right. <laughs> and yet, if you're going to be a professional golfer and you're going, to, you're going to develop a second nature that enables you to hit the ball long and straight and predictably that way, you're going to have to study somebody who's good at it. So the first thing, if you and I are going to become like God and his nature is going to become our nature, we have to watch and study God. Okay, number two. Well, I skipped a slide. Let's go here. Do you know how powerful this idea of being with somebody is? So one of my, this too was really formative in my life. 
And let's go back one, Luca, okay? Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12. What do we normally call them? The 12 what? Disciples or apostles, right? But the phrase right after that is huge. He chose 12 that they might be with him. Huh. You want to become like Jesus? You got to be with him. That's the point. Okay. Number two. You got to seek understanding. You can't just watch somebody do stuff and go, oh, that's kind of cool. You got to ask yourself, what are they doing? Why are they doing that? And in what way are they doing that? And when we learn to study God and get curious about why God does what he does. And by the way, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you study the life of Jesus, you're studying the life of God. Ask yourself, what is Jesus doing? Why is he doing that? And in what way is he doing that? So that I can do what Jesus does. And I can do it for the same reasons Jesus is doing it. And hopefully, I can do it in the same way that Jesus does it. And we're going to have to seek that kind of understanding. Third is this. I have to try something new. (laughs) For all you people who hate change. I'm a chaplain with the police department and have been for 25, almost 26 years. And the chief recently said to me this. There's only two things that cops hate. Change and the way things are. No offense to any cops who are here. I think there's a lot of us that fit in that category, aren't there? We don't necessarily like the way things are, but, oh, we don't want to change. Listen, there's something you need to know. Transformation doesn't begin until I try something new to me. You can't do what you've always done and be transformed. You're just going to do more of what you already do. Not only that, this is actually going to get me way outside my comfort zone. Because I'm already doing everything that's natural to me. So now I have to learn how to do something that's not natural to me. And listen, acting like God is not natural to you. That doesn't mean that you don't like to be in charge. That might be natural to you. But that's not what acting like God is. Okay, yeah. And the the last part of this is so important. This is actually where faith begins. I can study and study and study and read and observe and learn and take notes. I can do all that stuff, but it'll never transform me until I actually try something that I've never done before. And if I've been studying God, I know what to try. Number four, practice a lot. 
If you're going to learn a new skill and develop a new nature, you got to practice a lot, which means you have to be willing to fail a lot. Because anytime you try something that's new to you, you're not normally going to be very good at what was it? What was I said I've been retired four days and what? I stink at it. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. Why? I'm just learning. So I got to be willing to fail. I've already found a way to fail at retirement. Try to do all the projects that have stacked up in three days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anytime we try something new, we have to be willing to fail and fail often because change is not easy and change is not natural and change is not quick. But there are two ways to fail. And by the way, there have been all sorts of studies done. And, and I was reading a study recently where the primary difference between people who were highly successful and people who were not successful was their relationship to failure. People who were highly successful viewed failure as a normal part of the process of learning how to succeed. People who were not successful viewed failure as a sentence about who they really were and that they would never be better. So practice. Practice a lot. And when you practice and you fail, learn something from that. So that the next time, you don't do it exactly like that. I call that failing forward. Number five. Develop skill and a new nature. You know, all of us have done this in some area of our life where we, we learned a new skill and we did it and we did it and we did it until eventually we say, it is now second nature to me. You've heard that, right? Do you realize that this broken nature is our first nature? But the nature of God was always intended to be our second nature. And that, my friends, is available to any of us. I want to close with a couple of questions. So help us apply this practically in this week. And the first question is this. What area in my life needs to be made more like God? That should not be hard for you to answer. Okay? If you're struggling, ask your spouse. Take a paper with two columns and number them, <laughs> okay. because they'll have a whole list. Yeah, what area in my life needs to become more like God? Okay, then we're going to learn. I'm going to study God in that area. I'm going to study the life of Jesus in that area. Okay, next, what practical new thing can I begin doing this week, it has to be practical, it has to be new, to get myself into, into the flow of this transformation process. If we'll do that, then we will come to understand this is how 
God's nature becomes our nature. And this is how it will become second nature to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have made life to be a divine experience, to be lived with you, not a human experience, to be lived in front of you. Thank you for being our Father. More than wanting to please you, we want to be like you. This is our prayer. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.